0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them.
1: Welcome everyone to Project Management Office Hours, the number one live project management radio show in the U.S. Broadcasting to you today from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, Joe Puzz, PMO Joe. And for the next hour or so, We'll be talking project management or change management today with our special guests. Uh, Last show, we had introduced our newest sponsor, PM Master Prep, and we're very excited to have Scott and his team supporting the show. They offer great solutions for preparing for the PMP exam, and I just wanted to give everybody a moment here to hear from Scott.
0: If you're studying for the PMP exam, how excited are you to memorize the 756 pages of the PMBOK? You see, when I was studying, I realized that cramming facts in my head wasn't only not going to help me pass, but it wasn't going to make me a better project manager. So I abandoned what the experts told me, and I created a method that delivered an above-target score without memorizing a thing. You heard me, memorizing nothing. The power of my method is in three simple changes that help you make and cement all the connections you need to ace the exam's situational questions. I've distilled my method into a book e-course, simulator, and training class that transforms how you or your team learn PMP. My name is Scott Payne, and I want you to be successful in the PMP exam. Go to pmmasterprep.com and learn how my PMP training method works. And use the code PMOJOE to receive 20% off every product that will make you battle ready for the PMP exam.
1: So it's so great to have Scott and the team on board with us. And and really, what a fantastic offer, right, for our listeners to get 20% off for all of their uh, services they provide. So, again, head out to pmmasterprep.com. Use the promo code PMOJOE and uh, take advantage of that offer. Also want to uh, acknowledge our other sponsor, the PMO Squad, which is home of the Purpose Driven PMO. Most organizations start with the what and the how of project management, but with the purpose-driven PMO, we start with the why. Focusing on purpose allows us to get long-term buy-in and success. So visit thepmosquad.com to learn more about the purpose-driven PMO and all of our project management solutions. Before we dig into the show with our guest today, I also want to say a happy birthday to my now 11-year-old son, Zachary and my wife, and we won't mention her age, Uh, but it's not a milestone moment yet. Maybe next year it could be. Uh, So happy birthday to both of them. Uh, A big day in the Puzz House, so we're having fun with that. Also, I have an upcoming session uh, with the PMI local chapter here and Eric Wright. Eric will be coming in from Florida on June 3rd. We're going to be speaking with uh, veterans as we have a topic for transitioning into the civilian PM career. So everybody who may be interested in that, there's a lot of value in the tools and techniques and tips that Eric and I will be presenting. Uh, you can get more information about that at the local PMI Phoenix chapter. Also a reminder to everybody that if you have a question for our guest today or me, you can tweet in the question out on Twitter. Just use hashtag PMO Joe and we'll monitor Twitter and be able to get questions over to our guests. So with that, I want to welcome our two guests today, Julia Steele and Renee Campisi. Thank you so much for being with me.
2: Thanks for having us. Hi, Joe. Great to be here.
1: Julia, I'd like to give you a moment just to say hello to the listeners and introduce yourself and allow them to get to know you a little bit better.
3: Yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, I'm Julia Steele. I'm calling in all the way from Melbourne this morning. Um I've got a 20-year career in business transformation. I've led a lot of big projects, originally from the UK and more recently down here in Oz. Um, My big thing is all about how do we accelerate change. So I've seen a lot of projects, a lot of organizations with good intentions that um, often fall by the wayside um, through lack of commitment and buy-in. So last year I wrote a book called that, Buy-in, How to Lead Commitment. How to lead change, build commitment, and inspire people. And uh, I now train, facilitate, and, and mentor people on how to get more commitment um, to their change.
1: Well, Thanks so much for joining us. And this is uh, the Australia month for us here on the show. Last week, or two weeks back, we had uh, Elise Stevens joining us from Australia. So thank you, Julia, for getting up bright and early in the morning to join us. It's very much appreciated. And Renee, Welcome and uh, give you a moment as well to say hello to the listeners and give you a chance to introduce yourself.
2: Hi, yeah, thanks. I'm happy to be here and uh, happy to talk with Julia too. She and I share uh, similar passions inside of change management. Very similar, you know, been working for 20 plus years, started off in consulting services at Accenture. And, you know, what I found was a love of you know, as you move through these project teams and you, you, get to, you get exposed to all these different personalities, all these different objectives, and ultimately being able to realize those benefits are key, right? And so there's various frameworks we use, um, all kinds of things that we learn as we go along. But what I've really felt connected to over the years and where I'm really focusing now is how do we really help people? Um, do what they intend to do when they come to work. And that is, how can we form really high performing teams? I feel strongly that you know, we all we all come to work wanting to do our very best. Everybody wants to be part of something great. And so um, you know, as I've been fortunate enough to walk the earth for a certain number of years, uh, there are certain things that I find are instrumental. Um, there are frameworks, there are approaches, there's value systems um, that really help generate a foundation first for high performing teams. And then just accelerate their results and their unique contribution. And that's what's fun. You know, every project is different. And so that's really where I focus. I offer consulting services around that. And uh, my organization is Nimble Giants Consulting. And uh, I've been working with a wonderful client for the past year, um, watching them make remarkable impact and deliver value using an agile and change management uh, various practices. So it's, it's something I feel very, very passionate about.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah. And, and Renee, we had met at the local SIM chapter uh, here, the Society for Information Managers, uh, leadership group for IT professionals. And a big moment last night as we had unveiled the SIM leader of the year uh, coming from Make a Wish. Uh, Bippin, and I don't want to pronounce his last name because I'm going to mess it up, but the CIO for Make a Wish was named our leader, and we'll have a guest coming up in July from the Make-A-Wish organization as well. So thanks for being a part of SIM. Thanks for joining me today, and let's dig into uh, some questions. Uh, First, I guess, uh, over to Julia, tying into last week or last show we had, we were dealing with the Celebrating Women in Project Management Initiative uh, that Elise Stevens has fostered and started across the globe And I know you've been featured in that as well, Julia, so I didn't know if I wanted to give you a moment here just to uh, talk about that and your experience involved in that initiative.
3: Of course, thanks, Jo. I um met Elise a couple of years ago now, and kindred spirits in the role of of women in project management. And I think uh, when you look at the the history of projects, not just in Australia but globally, you know there is a history there that you know forged out of construction and engineering, and for that reason, there is has been quite a strong male bias with that regard. But, you know, the, the more projects have gotten traction in organizations, the more projects have extended into non-engineering and non-construction industries. We've seen more and more women join join the industry at at all levels. And I think um, Elisa's initiative really just demonstrated the diversity of of women and the diversity of the projects that that they're delivering. And um for my for my own Uh, interests and commitment to sort of encouraging more women into the project management workforce and the the PMO space. And what Elise has has done is has been fantastic in just promoting how many women are are out there because, um, you know, speaking from experience, sometimes it does feel like you are the only woman in the room, but um, Elise's initiative is reassuring that there are so many fantastic women doing great things in the project space around the world.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I, I uh, Julie, I, I can really uh, relate to the comment, you know, and sometimes, sometimes we are the only woman in the room, and uh, and and it's, I think, a wonderful thing to be able to uh, connect. Uh, Share best practices. I think I find that that's one of the things I enjoy the most out of my um, network and community. It's really a community, you know, of people. And how is it that we can help each other and fit together, you know, as these pieces of a puzzle, right? Really coming together and showcasing and helping each other and teaching each other, taking turns being a student. I can relate to being in technology most of my career being in that situation. And I've also had a lot of fun talking with other women who have that experience and help others navigate their way and find their way into leadership spaces.
1: Yeah, such a fantastic initiative. And and uh, former guest of ours, Danielle Kropp, here locally in Phoenix has got a women in product organization that she had started up for product owners to be able to collaborate and network together as well. So, A lot of initiatives, glad to be just a small part of that and help spread Elisa's message. And can't wait uh, to see what she has in store for us next year.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic.
1: Renee, going back to what you had, uh, at your introduction, you had mentioned the combination of kind of change management and agile approaches. Mm -hmm. How, like an agile for business approach, right? What is Mm -hmm. that like? What is... Can you expand on that a little bit yeah, more? I would love to. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, what I found is I actually have to tell you it's it's an experience. I went through this, right? I went through an experience that inspired me to live this Agile for Business approach. Um, and first, let me tell you the approach, and then I'll kind of share with you sort yeah. of the story and what introduced me to it. Um, so... So the approach is this, right? So Agile, uh, kind of born traditionally out of the software technology space, um, it, what I found was as I watched this process be implemented uh, when I was working and um, uh, managing operations for an organization, all of our clients were being uh, coached and consulted on how to implement Agile, and they were developing software, right? And, um, and so, but the reality is, is as I watched the productivity of the teams, I watched the unique value get really highlighted from the various team members. I, I also watched, I want to say, witnessed sort of this heart and soul of how they work together. And it's actually the Agile value system, right? And so it's not just a framework and an approach that's highly productive. It eliminates waste. But it's got. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say it's got soul, right? It's got. It's a value system, and it's really the underpinning of the work. And so I thought, well, okay, totally works for products. I can see this. But how about in the everyday? So here's the story. Uh, Working, like I say, running operations, and the executive that a team of uh, my, my colleagues and I were reporting into. He said, "You know, this is what we ask our clients to do because we know it will generate results for them." I'm going to have you all as internal department heads uh, running your areas of the business, start running in Agile. And I was like, okay, but I, I don't have a product. I mean, we run operations sometimes. I even thought at first, hey, isn't this rinse and repeat? This is a daily job. How do I? I thought that was just for project-based stuff. And mind you, there were definitely initiatives that we ran. But what I found and what I witnessed over time, this is about eight years ago, was that what I thought was crazy, turned into amazing results. And I watched a bunch of busy executives who were well-intended, but we weren't getting anything over the finish line. All of a sudden, we started getting our work done and done quickly with high quality. That was what introduced me to it. And so it inspired me and I said, all right, great, I'm gonna run my operations team internally this way. And on and on it went. And so now as I consult, I help lots of different teams, um, whether they're operations, whether they're engineering, lots of different spaces in this agile manner. They're not their product is not software, but they absolutely have objectives, key results, they're measurable, and they can determine a minimum viable product out of what they need to do. And so it's don't wait for it to be perfect. Don't take a really long time. Let's go ahead and see what we can do fast, deliver value. So
3: I think that's a really fascinating insight, Renee. I think, um, I don't know what you see over there in the US, but certainly here in Australia, I think a lot of organizations are confusing what agile is versus what actual agile actually means, right? And the principles and the, the values that you mentioned. Um, it's not about how you deliver; it's the way that you deliver. It's um, the performance of the team, and absolutely. less about post-it notes and more about performance.
2: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. The values, you know. Sometimes I've, I've even, and, and Julie, I don't know if you've seen this too, but we'll be introducing. I call. I sometimes call it an agile one hundred and one. Uh, where you want to introduce a particular group who's curious but doesn't yet know about what this Agile for Business could be, and we'll be talking about it. And what I'll notice is this tendency to pay attention and key into the framework. Julie, it's like what you just said, the values are critical. It's really got to be values uh, incorporated with a, a structured approach. I mean, there's absolutely a structured approach to implementing Agile.
1: Well, and it goes no, back absolutely. to, you know, my the purpose-driven PMO, right? We say mm-hmm. start with why, not the what and the how. Absolutely. And, and the, as you two are both talking, right, the framework is the is the what and the how. Yeah. And if you just stick to that, you're not going to have the stickiness to get the long-lasting results you need. If you look at the value and the purpose, now you're going to get the, the definition and the stickiness that you need.
3: Absolutely. There's some real... Um, deep ingrained thinking though, though out there like I've I've got a former client who's a well-established leader really really respected in his in his field but has spent his entire career delivering in quite traditional hierarchical ways and when you move not just the teams but the leadership and the culture to a place Mind and to reprioritize things. If they're value, if you're making value-based decisions, that is the right thing to do rather than flogging a dead horse, um, which is, you know, we've told shareholders that this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And even though over time that becomes the wrong thing to do. And I think I see a lot of people confusing agile with agile mindsets and um, yeah, fully support what Renee said, because that's where the performance is, right? It's not about the the post-it notes, the the, the stand-ups, the kanban walls—that's the tools, <laughs> right? That's that's what makes the conversation easier. But it, the more important thing is the conversation and the decision making.
2: That's right. And then you just, you know, Julia, you just said something that I'll, that is another reason why I fell in love with this particular approach. Was, um, you know, really that that customer centric, value driven way of thinking and operating. And I've seen a shift, so so to give some color to that, right, I've seen a shift in teams first introduced that are really talking about tasks of what they complete. And once they move into the agile space, they start interacting, right, interacting with the people that I call the beneficiaries or the customers, right? And they start interacting and they've got that, like you said, Julia, the mindset They've got the mindset of the customer and what's value to them. And that's so important, right? And so now we start seeing this alignment. I'm part of a team that's very customer-centric, focused, value-focused. I'm not, hey, I went to a meeting. Hey, I got this report done. Hey, I this, I that. It's actually, you know, turning into, we problem-solved an idea that came from the front line. We took it through an innovation process, and we came out with an amazing result that none of us could think of. And this came from the front line. Now you've engaged the front line of an organization. You've got an agile team operating together, ultimately, to create a result, right? And just it's just transformational in their mindset. So when you said that word, Julia, it just reminded me of of a few experiences yeah, I
3: think the um, yeah, I think the what I love about change is that it's everywhere. But what I what I hate about change is that people keep trying to box it in in the same way that they box in project management. They're trying to make it a you know that you're a change manager, or you're a project manager. It's not a change isn't a role definition. It's a it's a it's a leadership outcome, right? Where where it doesn't matter whether you're on the front line or at the boardroom. Everyone has a change role. You can, there's nowhere that I've seen in the clients that I've worked where I just look at someone and go, you're just doing operations. Even if you're in operations, you're still doing change.
2: Oh, ab- absolutely. And and you know what, in today's day and age, right? It's like more, you know, more valuable, faster, better. But, you know, we have to be at a sustainable pace. And, you know, it's kind of like you like what you've just said, Julia. I feel like it's not necessarily about a wholesale you know, change management, big team, it's kind of like we need to weave this into the fabric of what all of us do all the time, especially in today's age, right? I think that's one of the most important things. And with the technology that we have, I think that we'll be even, you know, the way that we can approach change will be really interesting. Um, You know, when you think of data analytics, what kind of analytics can we get on indicators, um, you know, from our teams and our people about change, right? And before before something becomes an actual issue, what if you had, you know, through technology today, the ability to tap into some qualitative data, if you will, look for patterns, and as leaders, be able to get that feedback and partner with your teams as you move through change? Because, like, I, I couldn't agree more with you, though, Julia. Change is everywhere. It's pervasive. It's in everything we do. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think that it's it's got to be part of the everyday, right, part of the yeah. everyday skill set.
1: So I'm, I'm wondering how we, we know as employees there's a certain level of comfort in the status quo and mm-hmm. every day knowing mm-hmm. what you're going to be doing. And there's a bit of fear that's involved with change management. So how do we work within in organizations with employees at all different levels Mm -hmm. and because different levels have different uh, reactions to change Mm -hmm. and ownership of the change so how do we work with those levels and and the employees to get the buy-in and the long-term change that you're seeking
3: when i see a lot of organizations do doing is that they're taking each project and looking at the change in isolation so if you're an employee on the ground or you remember the team on the ground you might the first change might have come along and it's well managed then the second change might come along and that's okay and then by the time the third projects come along you're like okay i'm getting a bit tired of this by the fourth and the fifth they're like no I'm, i'm i'm done and i think taking this sort of Project by project approach is actually making change harder. And if there were more organisations that were making their leaders change ready um, at the at the cultural level, just saying, look, change is just a part of what we do, and readying people to deal with that rather than oh, here's another project, here's another project, here's another project, I think we would see a very different outcome then it's almost like the same mindset as as agile principles. It's just like, here's our change principles. We just, it's just something that we need to elevate the conversation on. It's not the project isn't changing the organization. The organization is changing. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, so I, I think the way my mind works, right, being a, a PMO guy, oh. is every project is unique. Therefore, it's a unique project that's going to bring change. But I think what I heard you say is what's the change initiative of the entire organization? And the project is actually part of that. We're, we're trying to yeah. change the way the company operates and the project is going to be a piece of that as opposed to change being a piece of the project. It's the reverse. Yes. Yeah. And also, like if you think about your corporate values, right, if
3: your corporate values are... If you're if you're going on a major transformation, I'd expect your corporate values to have things in there like trust. How do you build a leadership team that's got resilience in it? Um, how do you embody courage? Well, all of these, all of these values and principles, culturally drive the change. Right? You just need to lead. You organisations need to ready their leader for any change, regardless of the project that's delivering it.
1: And how? You know, I guess, Renee, how do managers do that, right? I mean, that's a change, talking change, right? That's a change the way they operate today. So how do we initiate that? How do you begin those discussions?
2: Absolutely. Well, actually, the very first thing I feel strongly about is um, managers, while we look at them and they, you know, we put a lot on their shoulders, the first and best thing I believe we can do is help them become change-ready first, help them understand the change at their own level. Um, and you know, so take care of yourself. Kind of put the oxygen mask on yourself before you do the child, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, we, it, and so I have a real soft spot for the managers and the middle management, and and change, like you had said a few minutes ago, can be extremely scary for them. So helping them, number one, understand it in their own individual point of view as a manager. So remember, they're a person too, and ultimately, you know, we accomplish the change one person at a time. And like you said, you can take the very same change and give it to one person over here. And then you can take the very same change. And uh, let's even say they're at the same level. And they're over there. We're people. We're unique. We're going to absorb those changes differently. So, after we take care of the manager and help them really understand the change and the commitment, you know, Julia, that was a word you had used. Mm -hmm. So important, right? (laughs) I always say change (laughs) is. Yeah. I mean, change is not an event, it's a process. And this is, you know, the endurance and the enthusiasm. So, I think that what's important is. The leadership taking care of the managers, regularly checking in, taking care of them consistently as a process, and then the managers, of course, doing the care and feeding with their people, understanding how their people are individually moving through the change. You know, and there's this is where some of those tools that we that we do talk about they certainly have a purpose. But um, speaking of the word purpose, whenever we're changing let's be deeply, deeply rooted in the why, right? And, and, and let's advocate that at a shared level in a compelling manner that people can relate to. You know, why? Why now? What would happen if we didn't do this? Um, you know, and, and sometimes they even call it in, in, in the burning platform. You know, it's, it's I, I get this when you tell me the why, I get this to the point of where I've got this, this compelling burning platform. How do I start participating in that change? And so all of that, though, so kind of bringing it all the way back to purpose, because that's, and, and Julia, I think that's what you were talking about, too, right? It's key that we start there and the values that honor that purpose. Um, and yeah, absolutely. We, yep. And, and make sure it's a process, not an event. Yeah. I think the, um, I see a lot of organizations
3: as well, and this might resonate with some other, um, listeners is that there's almost this resistance is futile kind of, um, approach to some changes, which is this top down change. And it's just going to be driven through the business. Um, and I, I, don't see a lot of organisations actually looking and going, actually resistance is okay, but what resistance is is an indication that something else is wrong, right? Either people haven't been communicated to or they're not clear on the why mm-hmm. or it's moving too fast or they haven't been given the skills to to deal with the changes um, in their personal lives. You know, people don't generally just resist change for the sake of it. There's a, there's an underlying reason why they do mm-hmm. and, um I think a leadership team and a management level that's willing to listen to that rather than just keep driving the change through because that's what we said we would do is a much more or much higher um, emotionally intelligent leadership team than than just uh, we've told people we're doing it so it's happening kind of approach.
2: Oh, absolutely right. I guess that's a that's a great add on to what else managers can do. You've got to be amazing listeners. And, you know, practice some empathy because, you know, Julia, like you said, people don't don't come in and say, oh, I wonder how I can resist today. Just like people come into work wanting to be part of something great. We want to add that value, you know, and so that's another thing that those managers can do, really listen, understand, empathize, and ask ourselves, is it an awareness thing? What You know, diagnose sort of, if you will. But this is also why I like Agile because what happens is – When you engage in an Agile manner and you take that customer-centric and also value-centric point of view, you know, the underpinnings of of what Agile is in its own value system, now the front line is actually coming up with some of the awesome ideas to change so that we can reduce waste and increase production. So now they've got buy-in. You know, you weigh in, you buy in. And and you get some of the best ideas that way. Amazing ideas.
1: You know, obviously, with a project management audience that listens to the show and change management is such a big part of project management. But, they're, you know, what I find is we're not trained on how to be change leaders, how to be change managers. What, what tools, techniques, guidance, mentoring, whatever it may be. Do you have, Julia, that you can share with the listeners about change management if you're looking at it from a PMO leader perspective or from a project manager perspective?
3: So I look at um, a lot of the training and mentoring I do. I focus on on three things. Um, and when you think about the world that PMO project managers live in, and I can say this because I was one for a very long time, there's basically got three things there's yourself there's the organization that you're working in and there's the project that you're delivering and I think so much of our project management and PMO training is it's all about the project it's all about the project it's all about the project and we do less about or we think less about actually what's the organization nor dynamics that i'm operating in the environment that i'm operating in um what else is changing in and around me and then we think even less about ourselves around you know what credibility do we need as leaders um how courageous do we need to be um i have a, a, a project manager that i was mentoring last year and he said my, my stakeholders um, one of my stakeholders really isn't on board with with the project, and I said, "You said, um, I said, well, what are your options?" And he said, I, "I, just, I just don't want to deal with him. And I said, "But you realize if you don't deal with him, if you don't come over, overcome your fears to have the conversation with this person, nothing's going to change." And he was like, "Yeah, okay, I, I get it. Like, project managers are there to lead the project, but they have an individual leadership." role and it goes back to what you were saying earlier joe about you know what's our change leadership um and i I, so i talk about three c's have you got confidence as a project manager to have the hard conversations because let's face it change is hard Mm -hmm. have you got the clout and the influence um that you need at the right level? Have you got the seat at the table to have those conversations and influence the change to get the outcome that you need? Um, and do you have the courage to, to go to go there? Because um, I think a lot of projects hinge on probably a couple of key decisions, um, that if those decisions, those conversations don't happen, then that's where things start to drift off off the line that they're meant to be delivering against.
2: That's so great. I couldn't agree more, Julia. It's the natural, you know, conflict avoidance, the, you know, perceived conflict with resistance, right? I don't know how to handle yeah. this. So, I think it's it it absolutely takes courage to know that you need to talk about it. And I think one of the things I tell managers as well when they're faced with that is let's think about where that person's coming from. The power of empathy um sometimes it really helps to understand like oh, okay well maybe it isn't you know conflict this is an understanding this is a mm. dialogue we can work through this right um and and certainly avoiding resistance actually only allows it to grow for sure yes. so
3: I'm, I'm a firm believer that there are very very few people out there that go into work in the morning to intentionally be. An idiot, or to be nasty, or to be <laughs> difficult,
2: right? That's right.
3: We all want. We all want to inherently. We all want to do a good job.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So, mm-hmm. if someone's not doing a good job or is being difficult, then you have to get to the bottom of their why. So, I know we talked about um, why in a broader context, but every every individual has a why that drives their their behaviour, and that's what you've got to get to. And that empathy and listening, Renee, is spot on. Um, it's it's not about the reporting; it's about the relationships. Um, I think from a PMO and project management perspective. That's why I wrote the book, because I I think it's all about relationships.
1: Well, I think the value, right, which you're both talking about is the the end game is more productive employees, therefore more productive organizations, therefore a more productive society we live in. But you have to be willing to accept the change in your spot within that model, right, of that life cycle to understand where you fit and to be contributor, right? And to your point Uh, Julie, you got to have the courage. And and it's so easy to just sit back. It's so hard to be a leader and accept that courageous moment to step Mm -hmm. forward and say, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that.
2: Mm Yeah.
3: And I think we, um, I think there's also a conversation to be had around are people resisting the change or are they resisting? The journey, and um, I see the the um, metaphor I use is kind of in the Matrix when Keanu Reeves Reeve needs needs to learn kung fu. Kung fu um, he just sort of gets this injection in his head, and he, all of a sudden he knows kung fu. But I kind of wonder sometimes if if he hadn't just been given all of the knowledge that he needed to do, learn kung fu, would Keanu sort of had this inner battle with whether he wanted to learn kung fu or go there or or not. And um, it's a silly. It's a silly um, comparison, but I, I think a lot of people don't resist the change. They're actually resisting the journey. It's the questions that they have along the journey that need to be answered, not not learning not learning something new or changing their role. It's it's what does it mean for them?
1: So let me kind of maybe shift gears slightly, but stay on point with this, right? And say The world we live in is is now becoming a digital world, right? It's just a different place, right? You didn't, um, when I first started my career, we didn't have cell phones, right? We, email was just coming out. So the the speed at which change occurred wasn't as rapid as it is today. Mm -hmm. So how does change management fit into this rapidly changing, evolving digital world that we live in? And do we need, all of us need to be change agents in this world?
2: I can't agree with that more. We absolutely—the answer is yes. And uh, I I might have said it earlier, you know, it's more. We need more value, faster, better, innovate, iterate, um, and yet we're humans so we have to also be sustainable. You can't sprint constantly. Sometimes we have to do the marathon, but you're right, there's more pressure. And in today's digital age, you know, uh, I was reading an article and there was a phrase, I really liked it, it you know, be change smart. Um, you know, we need to be, and then they said, change fitness, right? Think of it like an athlete. And you need to... Uh, what we need to do is, yes, we all need to be, we all need to exercise um, various, you know, tools and, and things that can help us do this because the reality is there's an insatiable sort of hunger out there for, like I say, more, better, faster. So if we can, if we can practice a few techniques and for me, what I, what I particularly like, and it's, you know, everybody's unique, but I really love some of the change management practices and techniques mixed with agile to help these teams move into this in an intuitive way. And, and I alluded to this earlier, I think the other thing with the digital age that's going to be really cool for change management is, you know, we've always talked about change management with the the tangibles. We all understand the keys of, behind communication planning and, and training and these things you, we can measure and the knowledge that we impart and then people's proficiency, you're checking for ability. But I believe that Um, you know, I I think that we'll be able to get at some of the intangibles as well. And that's what I was talking about earlier. So if there's, um, you know, whether it be social media or the ability for automated analysis on surveys that can start to sniff out and be intelligent enough that before something's actually an issue, there's a certain symptom. And wouldn't it be interesting if we can give our managers feedback loops on some of these intangibles? You know, that would be something as a practitioner I would love to see. To be able to go to something before you know, it, while it's at a simmer, not a not a rolling boil. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's also um, a conversation that we
3: we should have about let's not let's not limit our own beliefs about change. Like it, when when I hear people say we can't change all the time, well, why? What what is it? What is it about that statement that is is scary for people? Right. And what would and so if you turn it on its head and say, well, what would it take for us to be able to change all the time? That is, to me, is a much more exciting conversation to have. So, say, well, what would it take for us to change all the time? Okay, we need leaders that are empowered. Mm-hmm. We need middle managers that have more um, empathy or are given more time to lead the change so that they know that they that, that their team's going to respond to. Um, we're going to embody agile, you know, it might be different answers to that question depending on the organization, the industry that you're working in. But, you know, what would it, what would it take for us to be able to change all the time? Because there's plenty of organizations that do it. So it's not that we can't.
1: So let me take a kind of the devil's advocate approach on this. Right. And we've, a lot of the discussion today has been on the softer side of things, right? Not, there Mm -hmm. isn't been a hard tool to use or a hard methodology because it's more values and, What's in it for me, right? Why? How are you going to teach me to do this? Why do I need to, to worry about it? What I'm doing today mm-hmm. is working just fine. I get my, my paycheck. I go through my performance evaluation. The organization's doing well. We're profitable. Why, what's in it for me? Why do I need to do this?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I go back to what um, Renee said earlier about product. And I think, um, in the simplest terms, we are all products. Right, we all go out into the big world in the morning with something to offer. That's our product offering, and maybe your job, mm-hmm. um, maybe your role in the family. That's what that's your product offering, and if you don't change your product over time, sooner or later, no one wants your product. Right, and uh, the way I well, my my own mindset, and I've been through a lot lot of change. Myself is go, okay, wh- what can I do to either embrace this change or make my product the best it can be? Um, so if you're a project manager and you've been brought up on traditional ways of, of working and are used to waterfall and you're seeing more agile in the in the industry, maybe go and explore that. Maybe that's how you evolve your your product and become more appealing. If you're... Running a PMO that's been established for a number of years and it's seen as a a governance and control mechanism. What what would it? How do you evolve that product to become, you know, a more agile or change oriented um, or people oriented office rather than a reporting office?
2: Mm -hmm. You know, Joe, you talked about something that it it is um, something that I run into when I am first introducing people who are curious about. That agile mentality, which is essentially promoting change, right? You're iteratively in a very fast manner producing uh, product. And that's ultimately the goal, right? So it's constantly, we're iterating, we're changing. So, one of the things though, when I'm introducing people uh, to agile to help them understand, like, what's in it for me, like, why should I do, let's just stick with the agile process, okay? Um, I've done the traditional process. And by the way, I was born out of the traditional process too. That's how I started my career a long time ago. And um, so, but one of the things I do, I do an exercise. Sometimes people do a, like a Lego exercise, but I do something different. And um, this is actually a, a, a tool I would share happily with, with the audience. And I tell you, it's a lot of fun and it turns out a really interesting result. But I get, I split people into teams and uh, I turn them into production companies Okay, air quotes. I even make them name themselves, okay? And so they turn into production companies and I give them, they're actually, this is lightweight and very easy as a facilitator, by the way, to do. You bring some printouts, you bring some scissors, you bring some colored pencils. You've just turned two, let's stick with two teams, two teams into production companies and they're going to go compete for a contract, okay, is the goal. I run them through two methods. The first method is I give them time to plan, time to execute, and then a lessons learned. Twelve minutes, and that's it. And uh, I do collect their forecast. By the way, after their planning session, they tell me how many how many they're going to do. At the end, I write down how many waste. So how many unfinished products, quote unquote, from their paper pencil scissor experience and um, how many finished, how many actuals. And then we also compare our forecast to actual. Okay, method two. You probably know what I'm going to say. We use the same 12 minutes, but instead we do one minute of planning, two minutes of production time, and one minute of retrospective. And you do it three times. I tell you what, we get a lot of good laughs, and we end up with an amazing delta between waste in production in method one and method two and that sometimes in a very experiential way and just kind of throwing out there a tool or a technique that somebody could use instantly the aha happens at that moment that's something just from a tool and a technique that i've used that like i say it's it's not expensive and it's pretty fun
1: i I love that and I, I, i go back uh to my executive certificate program at MIT and my most memorable experience from that time for me was, uh, we called it the beer game. And they have a a game out (laughs) there. The beer
2: game, I like it.
1: I like this game. Yeah,
2: right? We can get behind this one, Joe.
1: (laughs) It's very similar. You you create a distribution, a manufacturing, uh, you break into teams and you have a manufacturing section a distribution section, a mm-hmm. customer section, the buyers I and consumers, like and you you see who can produce and consume and sell the most amount of beer. And it's, <laughs> it sounds similar to your, your mindset, except it's a bunch of, you know, executives that are out there trying to, to do it. And um, again, it's it's my biggest takeaway from my entire program. So I I love that example you provided.
2: My clients might like it if I brought beer. Yeah, they might like that. <laughs> you may have just given me an idea.
1: Well, I'm glad I could contribute.
2: <laughs> it's, it's a nice it's a nice answer to
3: to the question as well. I think you know the best way. Sometimes the best way for people to embrace change is for you to show them in a safe way, right? And the two examples that you that you just gave are perfect examples of. Of that, you could tell people the difference between productivity and waste, and compare and contrast. But when they actually see it, they go, "Oh, mm-hmm. okay, I I get it now." And then they're more they're more willing to, to
1: embrace. Within an organization, right? We're, we've talked about it; it's pervasive throughout. But somebody has to own it, right? There has to be an initiator, an owner, an accountable person to make sure it's driving through and and hopefully ultimately successful, right? Mm-hmm. Where Where does that fall?
2: So I actually, I'm just going to jump in on this really quick. One of the things that when we do this, ownership is ultimately key. But um, I also believe that making sure that the strategy and the very specific change is directly rooted to the core objectives of the company and in a very quantifiable way, right? We know how we're going to do this. We know what the change is. And then when you take that and have that all settled in, now you can start going into, okay, who is the champion of this change ultimately? And in the situation that I'm in right now, I actually had something happen two days ago. We thought we would be planning for the change with the owner who would be that change champion. And we actually uncovered that the strategy wasn't yet settled, and so I backed the team up, and we spent the time on strategy instead. Instead, and have a plan for getting the buy-in they need at a particular level, and then we'll be revisiting. Now, to answer the other part of that, from an ownership perspective, um, I like to say there's a couple different things. As you've got that, you've got this team deploying change, the owner um, must manage the change. Not from behind a desk, you've got to be out there visible, active, and we need those owners to have endurance. You need them to have passion. You need them to have heart. Remember, I said, this is change is not an event. it's It's a process. Um I feel really I feel really strongly about this one because this is all about getting started on the right foot, and to be honest, with teams I've talked to. If we don't have the right person, like uh, Julia, you were saying that you're three C's, right? Like mm-hmm. I, that really resonated with me because if you don't have it, it's actually worth saying, guys, let's, let's put a pause button on this. Let's mm-hmm. go revisit first things first. We've got to make sure that we have the success because, um, you know, the number one indicator for success is it, that proper, a, a robust, thorough, passionate, sponsorship, right? Ownership actively visibly throughout the entire duration of the project. And and it's actually been proven there's research out that out there that gets constantly checked in and refreshed that it's also an absence of that is a number one indicator for why something will fail or that lack of commitment like you guys were talking about earlier. Yeah.
3: When I um when I wrote buy in, I um I spoke a lot about on on day one of a change or a project, there is one person that owns it. But by the time you get to the end, everyone should own mm, yes. it. Right. That's what that's what buy-in is, right? So it may be that the change starts at the top and it's the CEO or the C suite. But over the course of the project of the change, everyone needs to become accountable for their portion of it. So it may be, you know, Joe Smith on the on the ground takes accountability for learning something new. It may be middle manager who takes has accountability for communicating it? They need to do they need to do that, or it may be the leadership team committing to do town halls or whatever the the communication strategy might be mm-hmm. that they take accountability for that piece as well. And I think so many so many projects um, and project frameworks focus on this one person accountable, and there is right there is always a a, a sponsor or a, an accountable person. But not everything can rest on the shoulders of that person. Every, you know, it needs it needs to be. Everyone needs to be be helped to be accountable um, between day one and the end.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's really that's right. That's how you do that. Organizational change is accomplished through each each individual, and once they embody that, then um, now you're really helping to make it stick or make it sticky, like you talked about earlier, Joe. Hundred percent agree, Julia.
1: So I'm, I'm I am always fascinated, right, by we have a bit of um, isolation here in the States as to the way we do business as the way you're supposed to do business. <laughs> and when we have guests join us from outside the U.S., I want to always get that perspective and share that. Because, we, again, we have about 30 percent of our audience is actually from outside the U.S. And we have guests coming up from Canada and Honduras and Germany. So uh, that's going to continue. But, Julia, what's your perspective having – Spent time in the UK in Australia, mm. and Australia, and obviously in the States as well. You've been here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Culturally, are there differences how change is accepted and received and delivered?
3: Okay, I was in the
1: States recently, and the
3: one thing I always hear when I say I'm from Australia is Australia is so far away. And actually, it's really not like it's a it's a fourteen-hour flight, but I got in, on the plane in San Francisco. I woke up in Melbourne. It's um, it's it's not it's not that different. I think um, at an individual level, changes change. It doesn't matter if your job's changing, the tool that you use, a process that you you're following, changes. I think there's um, if there are differences, it may be in the the culture of the organisations. So I know a few people in Australia that work for US-based organisations and they always comment that it's driven from the US, right? So there there's a out you're driving the change from the US into Australia. That's the that's the perception. So I think it's if if I was to comment on any anything to that question, Joe, it's how do you take a a whole of organisational a whole of organization approach to change rather than a geographic approach to change um because i can tell you every everyone here still has to pay bills like everyone in the u.s everyone's still going to take the kids to school looking at it from country by country doesn't help i don't i don't think
1: well and as we know the world right the the famous book the world is flat right so it's mm-hmm. there may be geography and lines on maps that say where countries end but business doesn't end at those borders right We, yeah, we, right. we cut across those yeah.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think um, culturally, there's um, maybe not much difference between Australia and the US, but I, I've led a few projects into teams in Southeast Asia, India, and um, culturally, those countries are quite different. You know, they're very hierarchical in the uh, what what managers say goes, and um, yeah, there's no no right or wrong way to do things, but um, when it comes comes to change, we're all we're all people on the ground, ultimately, and uh, goes back to the treat treat people how you'd want to be treated. It's very, very simple.
0: Mm.
2: You know, it's interesting. I was um, with my client just in uh, South America, and the product owner pulled me aside. We were kicking off. And the product owner pulled me aside and had said, "You know, this is." We went through the agile training, and he said, "This is going to be a change." A significant change for my team. They're used to command and control. So, Julia, you mentioned that, and and you know, and I I see that here too uh, in the U.S. Based on various organizational cultures, right? It it really isn't about the country, but um, but did but did run into that, and it's interesting because uh, you know we're talking both about project management and change today, and. As I was introducing project management, I realized I had a whole change project on my hands, too, right? Because culturally, (laughs) they're used to command and control. And I'm happy to report that the team is, you know, I say, cooking with gas right now. They're loving Mm -hmm. this way. They've actually really bonded, too. And the product owner has actually uh, shared that it's been transformational for him. And he actually feels a burden off his shoulders,
0: he said, he,
2: yeah, he said, people used to come to me when there was a big problem. They said, well, I could have told you that was going to happen. And he's like, well, I didn't you, right? So now they're responsible. The team is responsible for helping. It's encouraged. Tell me what you mm-hmm. think is going to happen. Tell me how you think that problem should be solved. And so they're finding, you know, many hands make for light work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. and Julie, I just want to go back to one item you had mentioned kind of the last uh, thing you wrapped up and said treat people how you want to be treated just a reference back to past guest ruth pierce was on and she just spoke over at the pmi Amia Con- Go- global congress uh, mm-hmm. session this past week and she talks about how treat people how they want to be treated not treat people how you want to be treated and i thought yeah, just absolutely. the changing that one word is so impactful mm-hmm. right and yes. i've always it, it viewed the world through my eyes and what ruth is working with on with her customers and clients and and the readers of her books is we've got to change that mindset to look at the world through their eyes mm-hmm. absolutely uh, so it, again it just triggered that thought with me so love that
3: love that i'm gonna take that and
1: look up ruth <laughs> <laughs> ruth is awesome she is great i'm uh so glad to call her my friend and and to be associated with her she's done great things and Uh, Looking forward to what she's going to continue to do as well. So we're getting close to wrapping up here. I just want one more uh, question I wanted to ask uh, Renee before we wrap up is, you know, we've met, and I know the answer to this question, but I love the name of your company, Nimble Giants. That's right. Right. Can can you share the story behind that and what that means?
2: You bet. So... It's I wish there I wish that it had some, you know deep, deep, deep kind of uh, story here that I could share, but the reality is this. what I found in my own experience when I was an employee and then uh, as I ventured out and created this company on my own, what we have today are these very large successful organizations that are craving the ability to be more flexible and iterative and innovative. And I call them my nimble giants, and I know it's possible. I've seen it. I've lived it. I've done it. So I am committed to helping these organizations, whether it be build brand new capabilities in their large organizations that fill voids of, of value drivers that aren't yet being discovered, um, and or if it's reimagining with a team how they can do this and actually it, it really speaks to my heart and what I'm passionate about, which I had said high-performing teams and people, um, ultimately helping them go to work every day and, and come home feeling so good about what they contributed uniquely with high value. And, and it's it's just this unlocking event. I've seen it happen. So I help big <clears> giants <throat> become nimble.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. So we're we're at the end of the show, and I want to thank obviously both of you for being on. It was great. It was very informative. Thank you so much again, Julia, for waking up so early to join us for, live from it's Australia. Good. And want to I'm give... a day
3: closer to the weekend than you. It's good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no fair. Uh, and want to give you a chance, right, to to let everybody know where they can get your book uh, that you mentioned, and also anything that you have upcoming, or any ways they can get in touch with you.
3: Uh, yes. Yeah, so the uh, best way to get hold of me is uh, through juliasteel.com I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter too, but um, digital and hard copy of my book are available on my website, juliasteel.com I am always in California, so if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, Nerves of Steel, you can do that at my website too. And if I'm speaking in the US, that's the best way to hear about where I am and when I'm over there.
1: And I, you've got, like, uh, the perfect, like, movie star name, too, right? You, you should be the heroine in an action movie, right? Julia Steele, change agent. Yeah, that's right.
2: right. <laughs>
1: I, I love it. And, uh, Renee, how about you? A chance to uh, let the audience know where they can connect with you and oh. anything that you have to share with them?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, please go to Nimble Giants. That's got an S on the end, dot com. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Renee Campo Campisi. But I would say just go to my website and you can uh, contact me there. And uh, it's really that simple. Yeah, LinkedIn is also another fantastic way to find me.
1: Great. Thank you so much. Reminder to everyone that we are live the first and third Thursday each month. And our next show will be on June 6th. We'll be back into our standard 11 o'clock time slot. We'll have Steve Fulmer and Daryl Gardner on with us. And also a reminder, right, these shows are live, but we also record them. So be sure to subscribe to Project Management Office Hours podcast on Apple, uh, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, whatever your podcast platform of choice is. Feel free to leave a review. Let us know what you think about the show and what we can do to make sure that we're giving you everything you need. Also, again, uh, one last thanks to our sponsors, PM Master Prep. Uh, use hash, uh, the promo code Joe to get a 20% discount of their, all their products. And, of course, the PMO Squad, home of the purpose-driven PMO. You can visit PMOSquad.com to learn more about that. So that's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours.